Good morning, church family. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Uh, this morning, you can open up as uh, we read to Psalm chapter 24. Uh, maybe you experience this like I do, a, a, cer- a kind of spiritual fog. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Walking around, um, knowing the truth and believing it, right? I feel like I especially struggle with this since I grew up in church. I've always known about the Lord, which is a huge blessing I'm so thankful for. Um, but, but that comes with a lot of knowledge, right? I know a lot of truths about God and who he is and what he's done for me, but I have trouble translating it into my life and my, to my attitude. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Uh, there's a blurriness, a sleepiness, a deadness uh, of the spiritual senses. Uh, maybe you feel this often. Maybe you feel it today. God seems far off. Or maybe he's just kind of been on the back burner and you feel mildly guilty about how much you've been reading or praying lately. And this morning, I just want to open up this topic and just say, honestly, man, I struggle with this. Um, and, and I think we can talk about it and we should talk about it because God does not want us to live there. God doesn't want us to live in this spiritual fog. Um, I, I think it's possible for our hearts to be alive to God alive to the presence of God. And the question I want to answer uh, from Psalm 24 this morning is this. How do we have hearts alive to the presence, the goodness, and the glory of God? So let's walk through this psalm uh, kind of verse by verse, and then we'll get to some some practical steps at the end that we can take um, to have hearts alive to God. Look at verse one with me. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. The first thing here, and the first thing that we need, is a true vision of God, a true vision of who he is. For our hearts to be alive to him, we have to be reminded of who he is. We are very forgetful, aren't we? Right? Remember, everything and everyone belongs to God. He owns everything. We don't like to think of being owned by someone, of belonging to someone else, but that's what this verse says, isn't it? The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. We are his. Right? This is the answer to the first of the New City Catechism we use with our kiddos. Right? What is our only hope in life and death? We are not our own, but belong to God. Everything is his. Everyone is his. He made it all, right? That's the reason. Verse two, for he laid its foundation on the seas. He established it on the rivers. He created everything. He made everything. And so everything is his. I think sometimes because of our familiarity with God, we can get a, a low view of him, right? We can forget his greatness. Remember, this God made the mountain. He made the black hole, he made Jupiter's rings. He, he made the great monsters of the deep. He, he created the core of the earth that you know, spews up every now and then in, in a volcanic eruption. He made lightning. This, this is uh, the God of the storm, the God of the cosmos. He made you. He made everyone you know. He made everyone that has ever existed. And he's not to be taken lightly verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? For the Jews, God was in the high place. 
Mount Zion was where the temple was, right? It was uh, the place where God dwells. So who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It's saying, this creator God who owns everything, who gets to be in his presence? Who gets to stand before him and live? Who can, who can approach him? It's a good question. And, and as, as a side note, would you want to? Right? If, if I said, hey, God's in the large group room back there and the building was shaking a little and you could see light you know, emanating from under the door, would you go? He's back there, you can go see him. Who can, who can go near him? Who can approach him? The answer's clear. Verse four, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. The, the one who has clean hands, you know the phrase, get caught red-handed, it means the evidence of your crime is on your hands, you're guilty. Someone who has clean hands is, is someone who is innocent. You can't catch them doing evil. They have nothing to fear, nothing to hide. A pure heart, it's clean hands and a pure heart. This means someone who not only does the right thing, but who does it for the right reasons. Someone who's full of love and joy, filled with peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of a person's life flows out of this undefiled, pure heart. Who has not appealed to what is false. It says, some, some translations say, who has not lifted up their souls to an idol. That's what this means. Appealing, asking for help, putting your trust in what is false, in an idol. The one who can approach God is someone who always appeals to what is true, to God. Someone who trusts fully in the Lord, not in other things. Someone who goes to the Lord for help, for strength, for comfort, and for refuge. And lastly, who has not sworn deceitfully. This is, this is talking about our speech, uh, but, it, but it's not talking about cuss words. Uh, to, to swear deceitfully is to lie to get your way. Uh, this, this, so this is describing someone uh, who tells only the truth, who's not sworn to see. He tells only the truth even when it's harmful to him, even when it makes him look bad. Who doesn't mold or bend or leave out details in order to, to be perceived in a good light a truth speaker. This is who gets to approach God. Clean hands, a pure heart, not appealed to what is false, has not sworn deceitfully. What happens to this type of person? Verse five, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. All of God's favor, goodness, righteousness, salvation, given as a gift to this person. When this person approaches God, they can expect good things. They can expect acceptance, not rejection. They can expect life, not death. They can expect salvation and not condemnation. They may ascend the mountain of the Lord. They may stand in the holy place. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I can't approach God then. 
Who, who is actually like this? Look at verse seven. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is he? This king of glory, the Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. There's someone here in the psalm who just bursts in unexpectedly. It's a change of pace, right? Like, wow, this is different. And this is the king of glory. He's the Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. He's the Lord of, of armies, the Lord of hosts, of angels, uh, angels' army. Who is he? Who is he, this king of glory? Well, he, he's God, of course. It says he's the Lord. But more specifically from, from the Psalms and from the rest of Scripture, I think we can say this is Jesus. This is Jesus. The word ancient, uh, this says uh, rise up ancient doors. It's sometimes translated everlasting or forever. Uh, rise up everlasting doors. And so it's getting at these, these ancient doors. They've always been and they will always be. So th this can't just mean uh, some glorious earthly king walking through some, you know, some earthly majestic doors somewhere uh, th in history. No, no. This is about who Daniel 7 calls the ancient of days. This is about Jesus himself. In Psalm 2, God says about the son, I've installed my king in, on Zion, my holy mountain. Revelation 17, 14 says about the beast and the kings of the earth. These will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Jesus is the king of glory. And seeing Jesus in this psalm makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in the world. Because the truth is, we can't ascend the mountain of the Lord. We can't stand in his holy place. We can't be with him because we don't have clean hands, a pure heart. We have trusted in idols. We have sworn deceitfully. But Jesus never did. He always did right and, and for the right motives. He always trusted and worshiped only God and truly loved people. He always told the truth. And he died in our place for our unclean hands, for our defiled hearts, for our idolatry, for our lies. Christians are not better than anyone. We're just forgiven, right? He, he forgives us. He cleans us. He invites us into his family. He invites us to be united with him. So, he, so here's what this means. On your own, you can't approach God. You can't go back to the large group room if he's in there. Because you failed the test of verse four. But with Jesus, in him, you are verse four. You have clean hands. You have a pure heart. You worship God alone. You tell the truth. You get that objectively and positionally. Like Jesus' perfect righteousness is credited to your account. When you trust in Jesus, you get his record, right? That is your, that is your record. And you get that progressively and experientially. 
The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, and he changes us and makes us more and more like Christ. On your own, you don't get the blessing or the righteousness of verse five. But with Jesus in him, you get verse five's blessing. You get righteousness, and you grow into who God has made you to be. And so uh, we might ask then, well, okay, what should I do? We're talking about how to, get, how to get hearts alive to the presence of God. What can we do in response to this? First of all, I would just say, if you've not trusted Jesus, you, you should. You can right now. What's keeping you from him? Maybe it's the day. Today is the day for you to open your heart and welcome in the king of glory. Isn't it amazing? The king of glory, he's the king of angel armies, right? <laughs> there's no one who can stand against him. There's no, there's no one who matches him in power. And yet he doesn't force himself on us. Will you open up your heart to him today? You can. You can trust that he lived for you and he died for you, that he's alive from the dead. You can repent of your sins and be forgiven and be cleansed. I hope you will. But if you already trust Jesus, as I know many in here do, what should you do? Let's look at the other descriptor here of the person who receives blessing from the Lord. It's in verse six. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So, so who are these people with clean hands and pure hearts? Oh, such are those people who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Who are those who don't appeal to idols? Well, those are the people who inquire of God. Who, who are those who tell the truth even when it hurts them? Those are the people who seek God's face. How can we have hearts alive to God? My, my suggestion from this verse is that we have to have, we have to seek the face of the God of Jacob. We have to be a people, we have to be people, we have to be families, we have to be a church that seeks God's face. What does that mean? What does that mean and how do we do it? Well, to see God's face, uh, God's face, it makes me think of, uh, of Numbers 6, 22, um, the Aaronic blessing. Uh, this is uh, numbers, in number six. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. God's face means his blessing, his presence, his looking at, straight at you with love. This is what we're to seek. My kids seek my face. I have five kids, and you know what kids do. Dad, 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 mom, 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 right? Till what? Till you look at them. Yes, what is it? I'm watching you. Okay, great. I'm so proud of you. Uh, right? What, what do kids do? They seek your face. My kids want to see me looking at them, smiling at them. Get to, they want to get my attention. To see God's face then is to try to get his attention. Right? To, to get to know him better. To receive what he wants to give us. Right? To, to try to experience the way that he loves us. 
And I think this is really practical. Like, think of this. I'm just gonna float this question to you. What if God wants to spend time with you? Do you think that he does? Now, certainly, you need to spend time with God, right? Like, it's not a peer-to-peer relationship, right? We are dependent on him. He is the creator. Uh, We need him, unlike he he doesn't need us, right? Um, but, But what if he actually wants to spend time with you? If you're married, do you remember following, do you remember falling in love with your spouse? I hope you do. If you don't, don't say it. Uh, don't, don't, don't mention that. Uh, I met Caroline, my wife, in high school, and we dated for five years before we got married, which is so long, right? It was way too long. Uh, but uh, I remember, and do you remember the, the overwhelming urge just to be with the person? I just want to be with them. Right, I would sacrifice sleep and schoolwork, anything, just to be with her. Right? I would risk a speeding ticket just to stay at her house for like five extra minutes, and then I'd speed home to get, a, you know, get there before curfew. Don't do that, teenagers. Um, I, 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 why? It wasn't duty. It wasn't like, I, I just should. No, no, it was delight. I wanted to. I wanted to be with her. If you're in a relationship and you think, oh, well, I really should spend some time with my girlfriend, I guess, so I'll plan a date or something, right? <laughs> that's not a good sign. That's, a, that's sort of a bad sign of, of what's going on, right? When you fell in love, did you, did you spend time resentfully? No, you did it out of love. You did it out of delight. Now, what if God wants to spend time with you like you wanted to spend time with your spouse when you first fell in love? Right? God uses marriage as an example of Christ's love for the church. Right? That's why he gave us marriage. That's why he gave us romantic love, to show us something of himself, of how Christ loved the church. And so I think this is appropriate. Right? What, 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 what would God say if, if he did want to spend time with you like that? He might say things like John 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. Abide in my, make your home in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands, remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He might put promises in the Bible like uh, Hebrews eleven six that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He might say things like in Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. He might put promises like James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you are far from God, may I suggest that it isn't him who has lost interest. And maybe you've never thought of it like this. It's always been just a thing you know you should do, right? And that's not wrong. It's something you should do. Um, but, but if you just do it out of duty, it sort of ruins it. John Piper has a great, uh, the great illustration where he says, um, he tells it with his wife, but I'm gonna tell it with my wife because it would be weird if I was telling it. But so so if, I, if I show up uh, at, at, 
at my door, my front door, knock on the door, instead of just walking in as I normally do, knock on the door, and Caroline comes to the door, and I surprise her with flowers. And she says, oh, what are these for? Why'd you get me these? And I say, because it's my duty to love you. I'm your husband. I've ruined it. You know, like, I've ruined it. That's not the thing to say, uh, right? What should I say? Because I love you. I just love you. Uh, and so, like, we, we, this is not something, this is something you should do. Spend time with God. Seek his face. Um, but more than that, it's something we get to do. It's, a, it's an invitation to a relationship you can delight in and enjoy more than anything. More than that, it's the relationship that we were all created for. Like, this is the reason you exist. <laughs> it's for a relationship with your creator, for God. You want to find peace? You want to find meaning? You want to find hope? It's in him. It's the only place it is. Right? This is what we were created for. This is the invitation. So we should seek God's face. We, we, and, and that means spending time with him. Right? Looking for his attention, looking for his gaze, enjoying his presence. So that's what seeking God's face is. How do we do it? How do we do it? Four, um, four practical things on how to seek God's face. Um, I mentioned two weeks ago, George Mueller, one of my heroes, one of my favorite, uh, favorite uh, uh, biographies, Christian biographies I've ever read is, is by him. Um, and if you're like, Lawson, don't you have any new, new illustrations? Like, I just knew I was preaching on Friday, so just give me a break. Like, cut me some slack here. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I read last, uh, he, he, he was a no, man of prayer. He was a man known for prayer. In fact, he, uh, early in his, in his career, he, he um, Stop taking a salary from the church he worked at and just said, I'm just going to pray and ask God for money. Um, and, and I'm not going to tell anyone if I, if I have a need. And that's how he continued to run, even as, when he was caring for thousands of orphans. Uh, he, would, he would never ask anyone for money. He would only pray uh, and trust God to provide his needs. And God always did. And he said, and we read this two weeks ago, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. And, and I told you that uh, the last time, but what I didn't say is how Mueller recommended to do this practically. Right? He actually gave some really practical advice on how to, uh, like in your daily time with God, how do you actually make yourself happy in God? How do you experience his love? Um, and he said, this is, and this is amazing from a guy who was known for prayer. He said, when I, when I used to wake up in the morning, I would spend 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or even 45 minutes, even an hour, he would say, you know, in prayer. I would try to be praying, but my mind would be so distracted. I couldn't even pray effectively, which is kind of convicting <laughs> right there that he would spend that long. Uh, but then he said, that hardly happens to me ever anymore. And he says, the, the way uh, that I pray now is that I go to God's word first. Right? I meditate on God's word and I let God's word lead me into prayer. Right? And it's, this is, I think it's just great practical advice and I've heard many people uh, recommend this. If we want to see God's face, we should look where he has most clearly revealed himself. Um, I heard a, a pastor named John Tyson in New York uh, City say something in a sermon which may be the most practically helpful thing uh, that I'll say to, tonight, or to, uh, this morning, sorry. Uh, how do you get in God's presence? 
right? He said, uh, keep looking at the Bible until it burns inside you. I think that's what Mueller is saying too. It's not, it's not just reading, but it's how you read. It's, it's meditating. Uh, it's, it's reading deeply and slowly until something, a word, a verse, a phrase, leaps off the page like a spark and lights a fire in your soul. All right, Christian, you've, you've had this happen. Like you're reading and just a word or, or you know, a certain verse just jumps out. You're like, I've never, as many times as I've read the Bible, I've never noticed that. Wow, and it kind of explodes in your mind. Like, you think that's just you? <laughs> no, it's the Holy Spirit, right? He's showing you something. And so jump into that, dive into that. It's a portal into the presence of God and use that to lead you to prayer. So that's first practical. Look at the Bible till it burns inside you. Don't stop until it burns. Second, second, confess your sins. It's a practical thing of how to seek God's face. And you might not expect this, uh, but, but it's, it's intimately tied, confession of sins is intimately tied to seeking God's face. The, the context of James 4.8 that I read earlier, uh, is confession, right? So James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. When we get in God's presence, it always reveals our sin. So don't be surprised when that happens for you. Right? Isaiah, for instance, gets in God's presence. Isaiah 6, right? What is the first thing he says? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of an unclean lips, right? He just he sees God's holiness and it all of a sudden goes, oh gosh. This is this is what happens. And, and often I think the reason why we don't seek God's face is because we're ashamed. We, we don't really want him to look at us. We don't want his attention. We would prefer his attention to be somewhere else. But let me remind you of the good news that we've been talking about. You don't have to be ashamed. Yeah, you Jesus took your shame, your guilt, your punishment. He died for you. So when you feel guilt, shame, regret, you can just confess that to God. God, I, I feel so guilty about this. I don't even think I can pray right now. You can just come to him, confess that. Humble yourself before the Lord. Draw near to him in confession, and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. And, and it's not comfortable. It's not fun. Confession stinks, right? No one likes it, but it's right. It's the only way to break through to joy. It's the only way. C.S. Lewis said this, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Humble yourself. Submit to God. Confess your sins. Third, third practical of seeking God's face is to sing. It's to sing to God. Psalm 24 is a song, remember? Uh, it's, a, it's a psalm. 
And scholars tell us that this was used in the temple worship on the first day of the week. Uh, It would have been sung in the congregation as we sing worship songs. Singing is another one of those things that's commanded of us, like we should sing. Uh, But it's another one of those things that is really something we get to do. (laughs) It's something that if you kind of do it out of duty, it's... You know, it, it sort of loses the, the it loses the uh, power of it. Um, I love Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, we need to sing. And can I just say to us in our tradition, maybe we could let loose a little bit. You know. No, don't, don't look at me, Lawson. <laughs> I get it. I, I look at uh, Amy Bowles up here worshiping sometimes, and I think, man, in heaven, I'm going to worship more like Amy. I think that. Right? But then I'm like, why, don't, why am I waiting? Why don't I just do it? What am I afraid of? I don't know. <laughs> right? We, we need to worship the Lord. We need to sing to him with our whole hearts. What does that look like? We need to use, use music He's worship music to align our hearts and emotions with the truth that you believe and the realities you experience. I think sometimes, especially intellectual type Christians, are sort of like wary of music and like emotionalism and oh, that's just manipulation or something. But but listen, it's not manipulation if it's aligning us with the truth, right? If I'm if I know God loves me, I always know that, right? But I don't always feel it. If I don't feel it. And I listen to a song that reminds me of God's love and it moves my heart. Yes, thank you, Lord. Is that manipulation? Yeah, but it's manipulating me, my emotions to be in line with the truth. Right? We should use every means possible to align ourselves with the truth, to experience reality as it is. Right? And music is great for that. There's so much good, true, and beautiful music out there that you can listen to anytime. You know, pop those AirPods in. Listen. Um, it would be a great practice to put, uh, you know, put on worship. Use worship music as part of your devotion time with the Lord. Use it on the drive, in the shower, uh, you know, on the, when you're going to school. When, whenever it is, whenever you, you can fit it in. And praise God using music. And sing to him w- with songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let it stir you. Fourth, and lastly, um, is memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture is a way to seek God's face. Really, it, it, uh, it gives you the ability to do the first three things, right? It gives you the ability um, to, to meditate on God's word because you always have it with you. Anytime you can meditate on God's word. It gives you the ability to use that word that you know to, to convict you and to lead you to confess your sins. It leads you to, to, to let that truth, you know, stir your heart to sing and to worship God. Nothing, I think, lets God's word dwell richly in you and transform you more than memorizing it. Right? Like, like how are you going to obey the command that we just read, Colossians 3.16? Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. I think that means minim- at, at the, the, you know, minimally, it means we need to memorize scripture. It's got to live in us. How, how's it going to do that? I, I use an app called Fighter Versus. It's a really good app. You should check it out. Uh, it's two, it's two ninety nine. It's worth it. It has little fill in the blank games that helps you memorize. Um, uh, get that app. Uh, do something. Make a plan. Like you, you can do it. I see. I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, I just can't do that. I just can't." 
you're just not trying. Like, let's just be honest. You're just not trying. Uh, like, memorization is not, anyone can memorize, right? It, it just takes focus, which is hard for us, right? But you, we do have to focus. It takes uh, understanding. It's not just, you know, repeating the words rotely. It's, you have to understand what it's saying. Focus, understanding, and repetition. Do, do that over and over. Um, if you do that consistently, you will memorize the Bible. Guarantee it. You can do it. We need to be memorizing scripture. So, so how are you going to do that? Let's do it in our families. Let's do it in our groups. Let's do it in our church. Like, let's start a memorization group. I don't know. Someone run with that. Like, let's, let's hide God's word in our heart. We have to. We have to. Jesus has opened the way to God for us. Right? We, can, we can ascend the mountain of the Lord. We can stand in his holy place. We who had dirty hands are now clean. We who had impure hearts right now have pure hearts. And Jesus says the pure in heart will bless the pure in heart. They will see the Lord. We lifted up our souls to idols and now we worship the one true God. We swore deceitfully. We lied and manipulated to get our own way. And now we are children of light and of the truth. Remember, remember what Jesus said in John 15? I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I think people think that Jesus is, is wanting to steal your joy. I think that's, a, that's what people, they think, yeah, God just really does not want me to have fun. That's like his number one objective. <laughs> couldn't, what does he say? That couldn't be further from the truth. What does he say? I, I have told you these things so that my joy, which I imagine Jesus' joy is fairly expansive, my joy may be in you. Meditate on that. What does that even mean? How is Jesus' joy going to be in you? And your joy may be complete. Yeah, I would think so. If Jesus' joy is in you, I bet your joy would be complete. Jesus wants, that's what he wants. He wants to give you his joy. He wants you to have a heart that's alive to God. Will you receive his joy? Will you seek his face? Will you do what it takes to have a heart that's alive to God? This is the opportunity that's before each of us. Brothers and sisters, may the Holy Spirit blow away our spiritual fog. May he wake us up and make us useful to his kingdom and to his work in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us when we didn't deserve it, when we were your enemies, that you came and you gave yourself. Jesus, you are the king of glory. You are so wonderful. You are so majestic. You are so perfect in all of your ways. You are so mighty. You are so holy. There's no one like you. And you love us so thank you so much. Thank you so much for your love. I pray that for anyone in here who, who, um, who is far from you, 
who is, is running from you, is hiding from you, who is, is hoping not to get your attention, who wonders why they're even here this morning, um, I pray that you'd pour your love into their hearts by your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would all walk this week in a way that, that we, would be in, we would seek your face. Lord, we want to draw near to you. Would you please help us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.